the hell is going on? What's really going on? We said, what the hell happened? You don't have to know what the hell is on it. They, they see what's going on. I don't know what's going on. What is going on? We must find out what is going on. Hi, I'm Danielle Fetka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell's going on today? Well, what the hell is going on is we've got a topic we disagree on. Finally, I know you've all <laughs> really been missing that. So we are talking about how to hold China accountable. Now, Danny doesn't disagree with holding China accountable. We all Thank want to hold Mark. China accountable. But the question is how? I wrote a column in The Washington Post a few weeks ago advocating that we do, similarly to what we did in Congress when they passed the Justice for Victims of Terrorism Act, which- Also known as JASTA. JASTA, which stripped Saudi Arabia of its sovereign immunity and allowed people to sue Saudi Arabia for its role and complicity in the 9-11 attacks. And I argued that China's complicity in this pandemic is far worse than Saudi Arabia's complicity in the 9-11 attack, direct complicity. They lied about this. They punished doctors. They tried to hide evidence. They intentionally misled the world about the fact that human transmission was taking place. They impeded our efforts to prepare for the virus, to prevent it from spreading into the United States. And so they need to be held accountable for this. And the way to do that is to use our legal system to strip them of their sovereign immunity in the case of this pandemic and allow the people who've been unemployed and the businesses that have been devastated to sue China for damages. What do you say, Danny? Well, so first of all, I think this is going to be enormously popular. You know, we've seen legislation introduced in the House and in the Senate. I actually, when we were talking about doing this, I went and looked at, you know, whether there was popular support for suing the the government of China for the coronavirus. You know, again, we can refine it to talk about, you know, what exactly we sue for. But those are the rough outlines. And there's huge support. I just happened to come across a poll done in the UK. And nearly three quarters of the people polled thought that the Chinese Communist Party should be sued for compensation. Remember, it's not just justice that people are looking for. It's also money. There because they've been... lost a lot of money. In right. a lot of, I mean, they... so the number who's, who thought that people should be allowed to sue was 71%. The number of people who thought that there should be an international inquiry, which I do think is a good idea, was 83%. So the, these are pretty overwhelming numbers. And I think the numbers are very similar in Australia and certainly in the United States where lawsuits have already been filed. So why do I not think this is a good idea? It's pretty straightforward. I think this is a Pandora's box, okay? It's not that I want to defend the Chinese Communist Party ever, any more than I wanted to defend the Saudi government for what happened on 9-11. First, I abhor this culture of litigation. And I think you do too, Mark. You know, this... Uh... Frivolous litigation, but this isn't frivolous. Okay, no, hang on a second. <laughs> this, is, this is not like uh, ambulance chasing. It's not frivolous when somebody sues a college because they're angry that they didn't get in. Lots and lots of this lawsuit culture, yes, of course there are frivolous ones, but lots of them aren't frivolous. The notion that all problems can be resolved through the courts and that they can be remediated by the payment of penalties, which benefits trial lawyers more than anything else, parenthetically, so I expect the Democratic Party to get fully behind this. That is a notion that is incorrect, and it is done huge damage here in the United States. 
this unbelievable sort of trial lawyerization of everything. It's one of the reasons why we can't get the medicines we need fast enough because of the regulatory environment. Yeah. It's it's an enormous problem. And the notion that we should take this and internationalize it yeah. to resolve disputes is, I think, fraught with risk. Well, I think you've gone off the rails here, Danny. Ugh. And I will tell you why. Because I agree with you that we have a problem with over-litigation, but the problem is frivolous lawsuits. The problem is lawsuits that don't have merit, that people suing doctors for malpractice when there's no malpractice involved because they know that it's easier for them to settle rather than uh, fight it out. And so, and the Just insurance will second. cover it. When, but, when someone but, sued McDonald's, because their coffee was too hot. Yeah, is that frivolous? That's, yeah, yeah, that's frivolous. And yeah, do you absolutely. know how much money they got out of I it? I know. That's my point. Right. Which is you, we're, we're both agreeing on frivolous lawsuits. This is not a frivolous lawsuit. China is responsible for the world's worst global pandemic in the history of the world. Of course, they should be held so accountable for them. So do you think that members of the Ba'ath Party in Iraq should be allowed to sue the U.S. government? We were definitely responsible for the overthrow of Saddam Hussein. It is a very different, qualitatively different thing. It is a qualitatively different thing to have been responsible for a global health pandemic. This is not a policy. There, no one would allege, No one is alleging that the Chinese government is actually responsible for this. People are alleging. No, we we just talked about this with Josh Rogan. We agree the Chinese government didn't engineer this in a lab. There was negligence, probably, no, probably no, no, in the lab. You're, you're and it got out. Negligence is a, st- is a legal standard, but I'll leave that to the lawyers to argue. But I'm not even arguing negligence. I'm arguing that they intentionally lied to the world and prevented us from knowing that there was human-to-human transmission, that they intentionally impeded America's ability through their lies and through their cover-up to prepare for the pandemic coming to our shores, to prevent it from coming to our shores. They refused to share samples with us because they were afraid at that, and so we couldn't prepare testing sooner. And so a lot of the problems we're having with testing stem from the fact that for six weeks, the Chinese wouldn't, and still to this day, won't give us uh, samples. We got them another way. Look, if this was just a natural outbreak that just, oh, you know, sorry, our system's inefficient. We screwed up. We couldn't get it done. There's no legal case there. There is a legal case for intentionally impeding the ability of the world to contain and stop this virus. Look, and I don't I don't like being put in the position of defending the Communist Party of China, and I'm not defending the Communist Party of China. You and I, I think, have pretty much established our bona fides on that question repeatedly. My view is that there are better ways to deal with this than lawsuits. My argument, and I've made this repeatedly in various op-eds, including a bunch in which I said that U.S. pension funds should morally and legally be forced to die divest from Chinese companies that are oppressing you know, Uyghurs, for example, or complicit in what's going on in Hong Kong. I've said that we need to build a supply chain that isolates China and that ensures that the United States is never again dependent upon the Chinese market for any of our medication, technology, things like that. Those, to my mind, are the right way to approach this, just even practically speaking. Okay, let's go ahead with your idea. Let's sue. Okay, let's allow a right of action to sue the Chinese government in this narrow way that you described for lying to the world, which we agree they did. How are those trillion dollar lawsuits going to be settled in your view? Well, so it's very simple. So, you, Oh, good. <laughs> you no, know, it is. One thing you said earlier is that we need an inquiry to find out the facts, right? There's no teeth behind an international inquiry. It's like, you know, the United Nations will send a strongly worded letter to Beijing. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, I, You've got me there. I'm not much for international And so inquiries. if you want to, the best way to have an inquiry is through the legal system, through the system of discovery, where there's teeth behind the demand that you produce the witnesses and produce the documents and produce the information. And if you don't... And, and if you don't what? Just, if you, just if you, if don't, you don't, then what? 
then you lose the case. Okay, and if you then lose what? The what case, happens if you lose the case? And if you lose the case, then there's a summary judgment against you. And, 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 and where does that and money Chinese come from? Chinese government assets can be seized. Okay, it, so we're going to be seizing Chinese government assets absolutely. in the United States. Absolutely. And what do you it, think is it, going to happen to American assets in China? Here's the thing, that the Chinese government cannot legally retaliate in that way because what? because they, they're not supposed to put people in concentration camps either i haven't noticed any laws stopping so them what, from doing that so you know are we going to go to war with china in order to enforce this judgment is that what your recommendation would be no i'm not suggesting that we go to war well we're not going to go to war over this the reality is is that the chinese government one of the big differences between the united states and china is that they're all state-owned industries not all of it but a lot of it and so you can only seize state assets so they that's can't go our they rule can... not their rule they can seize whatever that's the inter- hell they Want. That's international law. No, it's not. It. There's it no is. international There's... law that says that you can expropriate state-owned industries, but you can't expropriate private industries. That's just not the way it works. It is. It isn't. <laughs> it is. All right. Well, Mark and I are going to go till the end of time uh, <laughs> about this. But for those of you who have missed Mark and I being at each other's throats, here we were at each other's throats. But we've got somebody to actually help us try and sort out these questions. We're really lucky to have him on the podcast. David Rifkin, you know, I'm sure most of you have seen really a prolific writer. He writes for uh, the Wall Street Journal regularly for the Wall Street Journal on international matters and on constitutional legal matters. He's a visiting fellow at the Center for the National Interest. He's a fellow at the Foundation for Defensive Democracies. But most importantly, he is actually an American constitutional and international law lawyer. And and a litigator. And a litigator, practicing one of that. So I'm hoping, Mark's really hoping he's going to defend him after I sue Mark for having assaulted me in this, in this conversation. <laughs> you deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's our interview. All right, David, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be with you. So... The costs of this pandemic keep piling up for the U.S. We've got 20 million unemployed, hundreds of millions of people locked down in their homes, businesses going out of business, and trillions of dollars in economic relief going out. Somebody's got to pay for that damage. Who should it be? Well, I think that compelling evidence has emerged, not entirely definitive evidence. I'm being a careful lawyer here, but compelling evidence has emerged that China is responsible uh, in a variety of ways particularly if this pathogen originated in the Wuhan government-run biolab, but even if it did not, if it originated, uh, let's say, in the wet markets, which is less plausible these days, still there's been plenty of lying, uh, obfuscation by the Chinese government that really transformed what could have been a Chinese-only or China-only epidemic into a global pandemic. The one thing I would point out in particular is you did have, if I'm not mistaken, on January 13th, no lie travel restriction for Wuhan residents traveling the rest of China, but, Mark, not the rest of the world, which looks really bad, to put it mildly. So um, I think the Chinese have to be held accountable for it. But I, I want to emphasize an important point. It is not just financial recovery. One of the important key things is how do we make sure it does not happen again? So how do we hold Chinese accountable in a way that both punishes them for the wrong they've done and makes sure or at least mitigate the prospects that it would not happen again? So, David, let me ask you a little bit about this. You know, the notion of trying to lay responsibility and then seek remuneration in this kind of a situation is – it's never been done before unless my research – 
betrays me. It certainly wasn't done over Ebola. It hasn't been done over MERS. It wasn't even done over SARS. So what would you, as a lawyer, focus on that will enable claimants in the United States, but also elsewhere, to suddenly bring this home and force payment from China? Right. Well, let me say a couple of things. Often the case in life, one transgression does not necessarily lead to a particular remedial course of action, and the next one does, and the third one doesn't, but eventually you say enough is enough. So in my view, precisely because of past Chinese culpability with regard to SARS and the other epidemics that you mentioned, the avian flu and et cetera, et cetera, this is just not something we can tolerate in the 21st century. The, the risks are too high. And this is self-interest. We're not talking about transforming China into democracy, and we're not talking about helping the dissidents there or taking care of Hong Kong, all of which are meritorious goals. But I mean, this one really is about protecting us and protecting the rest of the world, number one. Number two, the real problem with the lawsuits here, but it would have to be addressed, is sovereign immunity. Now, sovereign immunity is a principle that basically states are immune from litigation in almost all circumstances in courts of an sovereign. But that is a matter of, of comedy, and sovereign immunity has a number of exceptions. There's a statute in the United States called Foreign Sovereign Immunity Act that has a number of exceptions. None of them would apply here. Therefore, a new exception would need to be created. But you'd say to me, well, has it ever been done? Yes, I will give you a perfect example. It was done last time in 2016, where Congress, in the waning days of the Obama administration, amended FSIA as a part of a statute called JUSTA, Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism. And it broadened FSIA terrorism exception to allow suits, essentially, it didn't mention Saudi Arabia by name, but essentially allow lawsuits against Saudi Arabia because of 9-11. And because of JUSTA, the lawsuits against Saudi Arabia have been brought in this country. Prior to the passage of JUSTA, all of them failed because of sovereign immunity. Once JUSTA was enacted, those lawsuits went forward. So here's a perfect example. 9-11 was a terrible awakening moment, the new Pearl Harbor, if you will, and it prompted a change in the statutory regime and government sovereign immunity in the United States. I would submit to you that what has been happening here and now is a perfect justification for a similar remedial action. Let me emphasize, look, we're not talking about you know, imposing tariffs on China or trying to you know, seize Chinese property in extrajudicial fashion, not that we could. We're talking about opening the uh, opportunity for litigation. Uh, the risk of sounding like a typical lawyer, and I am a lawyer and a litigator. Litigation in, in U.S. courts is probably the world's best avenue for truth finding. If we're wrong, if things look bad for Beijing, but they really didn't do anything wrong, then they'll prevail, okay? I mean, this is nothing more than an avenue for ascertaining accountability, imposing a punishment if appropriate, and coming up with remedial measures to ensure it doesn't happen again. I mean, that's about as American as, as, as mother than apple pie. So we just had Josh Rogan on the podcast, and he was talking about the investigation into whether it came out of a lab or not. 
And one of the things he was saying is it's going to be really hard to find out because China has destroyed a lot of the evidence and a lot of the people who were involved have disappeared. And the wet market, they like bleached it and scrubbed it down. So there are challenges to finding the truth about China's culpability in this. How would litigation allow us to get closer to the truth? Well, I would say two things. First of all, litigation, American-style litigation with ample discovery opportunities is the best way for fact development. I mean, slightly legalistic. Now, I understand that the Chinese may have scrubbed, no pun intended, the uh, various services and facilities. But what happens is lawsuits are brought, but once the sovereign immunity issue has been resolved, the new exception is created. The Chinese decide not to play ball at all, which would be very foolish on their part. There would be default judgments uh, against China, and then it would be a matter of enforcing them. If the Chinese decide to participate, they will engage in what we call in the legal world uh, motion practice or try to knock it out on jurisdictional grounds in particular, trying to knock it out saying, well, you know, you have not really alleged anything that uh, justifies a lawsuit. They will fail. Discovery would be authorized. And if we don't participate in discovery, things would go badly for them because courts typically draw negative inferences. Kind of a matter of common sense, right? If I sued you and uh, you refused to produce evidence, uh, it pretty much attests to your guilt. So the Chinese would be put in the horns of a dilemma of either producing the evidence or not producing and suffering the consequences. Now, of course, they can try to lie about their available evidence and they can try to forge evidence, but modern forensic techniques make forging not easy. And if you get caught forging, you're in big trouble. <laughs> Again, as far as the disposition of a lawsuit, but also additional penalties for using fancy legal terms like evidence spoliation and whatnot. And again, the, the problem that Josh is talking about, and I respect his view, is I endemic to any kind of investigation. But again, I think that there's nothing on this planet that has as fulsome opportunities, the best opportunities for getting at the truth, as American-style discovery and American-style litigation. And you have a court in the world, and frankly, better than Congress. And the other thing here is, look, there are too many people, I would say, if the Chinese really have done what we suspect, the Chinese government, what we suspect them of doing, it would be easy for them to lie about it. It's not like 10 people know about it and they can kill them all. I mean, hundreds of people know, thousands of people know throughout the Communist Party circles. Scientists know, doctors know. All of them are going to, and, and it's not just discovery, Mark, it's not just about seeking documents. You can seek to depose people and obtain the court's permission to depose. David, so can a... I sort of cut you yeah. off and, and ask a couple questions about the practicalities of this? Sure. So you're kind of talking about the People's Republic of China, the largest country in the world, a place where they decided that they didn't like their Muslim Uyghur population and just put a million people in concentration camps. I'm not too doubtful of their ability to kill off a few hundred witnesses if need be. But I guess the, one of my doubts about your discovery theory is, you know, this is a foreign country. This is a country that doesn't want us to discover the truth. When I think about situations like the Iranian nuclear weapons program, the Pakistani nuclear weapons program, Saddam Hussein's biological and chemical and nuclear weapons program, 
there is still argument about whether or not we know the truth. Why do you have this sort of uh, confidence that this information is, one, obtainable, and two, is going to be dispositive in people's minds? Well, look, there are many impediments precisely because of the reasons you describe. Chinese government is oppressive, repressive, lies routinely, but those problems impede any kind of an investigation, okay? Be it investigation by Congress, be it investigation by some commission, similar to 9-11 commission. All I'm saying to you uh, after spending most of my adult life practicing litigation at the, the highest level is that litigation offers better opportunities for fact development than anything else. Now, I think that it also provides, unlike some of the inconclusive debates as to whether IAEA, you know, Vienna-based on the National Atomic Energy Agency, people were still debating what evidence existed to support the proposition that Saddam pursued, you know, actually had operational weapons of mass destruction. But there's no such thing as inconclusive debates in the context of litigation. If there's discovery order, and again, if Beijing chooses not to participate, then none of it matters. There will be default judgments against them, trillions of dollars worth of default judgments. And it would go very badly for them. So if I would ask any American lawyer, the advice would be uh, if you to not knock it out on jurisdictional grounds, you have to play ball. So the evidence would be produced if there's any evidence of falsification. Look, yes, the Chinese are perfectly capable of killing any number of people. What, are they going to kill everybody who knows the truth in China and everybody they told it to? It's just not easy. And if nobody can be produced as witnesses, everybody who's been involved uh, in Wuhan and in the medical facilities and the biolab and elsewhere, what they're going to say, we don't have anybody. I mean, judges are very good about drawing inferences based upon incomplete and falsified discovery. At the end of the day, when discovery phase is over, the law, I think, look, if the facts turn out to be what we suspect them to be, the evidence of Chinese culpability is utterly clear. And the district court is not going to throw their hands up in the air and say, well, you know, geez, uh, we just don't know. They will reach a conclusion. And if evidence is what it appears to be, the Chinese government is going to lose. So basically what you're saying is that by opening up litigation, we put China in a vice, essentially, because if they ignore the case, then they lose and have default judgments. And if they can't ignore the case, which you're arguing they probably can't, then they have to play ball and then they have to start producing witnesses. So, for example, you know, one of the things that's happened is like some of the doctors who sent warnings about this have disappeared. Well, call them as witnesses, right? And, call uh, them as witnesses. And, call and, their colleagues. And, and then China has to repeatedly say, I'm sorry, we can't find you know, the head of the, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and we can't find the doctor who tried to warn the world and all these other people. So eventually, if they don't produce the witnesses, then they lose, right? They, all right. So, so the hammer yeah. is the judgment that they either have to produce something and make a case to defend themselves, or they have their assets all over the world at risk. It would have to be China government-owned mm-hmm. commercial assets. So if you have a private Chinese company, you don't need to worry about that. But most of the Chinese assets overseas are, in fact, owned by Chinese state-owned companies. But it's more than just that. Look, if there are outstanding multi-trillion dollar judgments against Beijing, to collect on them, you don't just go after their commercial property. You go after the proceeds of, of sale of 
every Chinese goods and service by a Chinese state-owned company. In fact, you put their entire income from exports, which is the engine of Chinese economy. This is serious stuff. I mean, if the immunity is withdrawn, you really cannot play with the U.S. legal system. It's well armored. It's well practiced to deal with recalcitrant defendants, okay? Be they governments, be they uh, private companies, be individuals. It is enormously consequential exercise. But again, it has to be done in the right way. So, David, let's talk about the practicalities of this, because, of course, you know, sitting here on our podcast uh, in our studios and living rooms doesn't quite uh, jump over the bar of how we actually do this. So in the case of JASTA, the Justice Against Victims of Terrorism Act, which basically gave Americans a right of action against the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and waived their sovereign immunity, we actually do have pending cases, and we've seen those. Which are in discovery, by the way. Right, which are in discovery, and which I'm sure the Saudis will be even less cooperative, maybe even than the Chinese. But that's another story and another podcast. But of course, the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act exists for a reason. And it's not to protect malign governments like the Communist Party in China or the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia or the government of Iran or any others. It's mainly to protect us. It's to protect our assets in China. So let's say we go ahead and we do a JASTA for China. Legislation has already been introduced by Chris Smith, who's a a New Jersey Republican in the House. Let's say we do that. What do the Chinese do? Do they then open a right of action against the United States? And by the way, don't others then too? It's interesting you ask. Okay, so a couple of points. First, I am fully aware about the importance of sovereign immunity, the U.S. being the world's, aside from China, largest global trading nation, a global presence, lots of U.S. property and assets and personnel in much of the rest of the world. I am not suggesting abrogating FSIA. I am suggesting a narrowly tailored exemption, just like the one was done for JUSTA. It's probably just that the only way you can sue foreign countries for terrorism was if you designate them as state sponsors of terrorism. Okay, and of course, countries like Iran were designated, countries like Saudi Arabia were not, because it's, you, know, you have to bite a big diplomatic bullet. So just the exception said that if you're a foreign country and your officials are believed to have provided material support to a terrorist attack in the United States like 9-11, they could be reached here jurisdictionally. The exception we're talking about here would be only, again, would not need to even name China by name, just like Justin did not name Saudi Arabia. You would be for the conduct of foreign states that has created a global pandemic a fostered cause, whatever verb you want to use, it's a fairly limited exception. I don't think the United States would ever behave in this fashion. can't think of any circumstances where it's so likely. I mean, you know, there are people criticizing, unfairly in my opinion, the Trump administration for, you know, not moving fast enough on the testing and everything, but nobody, you know, believes that the United States can ever be in that position. So what exactly are our countries going to do? We're not talking necessarily about reciprocity here. I mean, 
we can open a right of action for narrowly tailored, as you describe, and that makes a lot of sense, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But that doesn't stop the Chinese from opening a right of action that isn't narrowly tailored or anybody else. Or even narrowly tailored, David. Couldn't they just say, okay, we think that the U.S. government uh, created, the, the U.S. Army sent this out and infected China, and so we're going to create a right of action in Chinese courts to sue the United States. And unlike our legal system, they know what the verdict will be, and they'll just start seizing U.S. assets in China. Well, two things. <laughs> Actually, ironically enough, Mark, the Chinese have already done that as a, let's call it, the litigation signaling. There have been reports. I've not read the filings because they're in Chinese, but I've read the reports the last three weeks that there are two lawsuits that have been brought in China by Chinese nationals that are predicated on exactly this theory. Because I'm saying that the U.S. military created this horrible uh, virus, and then we infected a member or members of a U.S. Armed Forces team that participated in some international competition in Wuhan. I think you're probably referring to the same story, right? Probably, yeah. Uh, but we went there and infected everybody in October and November of last year. Okay, so they, they already done it, okay? I don't know if they had to, <laughs> if they borrowed such niceties as amending foreign sovereignty, Chinese version of foreign sovereignty. But look, we can win the competition of two judicial systems because the American judicial system would handle this type of litigation in an open and fair way, but everybody can look at and objectively conclude that everything is right and fair. Do you really think the Chinese legal system would pass that muster? But what, do, what difference does it pass? make? Because uh, what difference it makes is so the Chinese are going to have a Mickey Mouse judgment. Yeah. That the United States has created this virus and deliberately infected Wuhan. We would have a judgment based upon the absolutely unimpeachably fair, procedurally and substantively, U.S. legal proceedings. Who wins in terms of a court of public opinion? In terms of what the whom international community is going to believe. Now, some people, you know, including the current head of WHO, they may support the Chinese line. But I mean, <laughs> I'm a firm believer. Thank you. I'm a firm believer that in this kind of competition, we win. Now, you can say to me, David, who cares about truth and openness and fairness and perceptions? They can seize U.S. property. Sure, they can. But they are far more exposed commercially than we are. Because among other things, I mean, I'm not an economist, but I bet you there's a lot more assets and global sales of Chinese companies, state-owned companies. For one thing, again, unless you just assume they're going to throw even a pretense of law to the side, they can't seize assets of AT&T or Amazon because they have a, a judgment against U.S. government. I mean, how many U.S. government-owned companies operate in China? I would venture, yes, none. There's no such thing. They lose this game. So one of their weaknesses, David, is that they have a state-run system. And so that there you can even Huawei, for example, is, you know, is answerable to the Communist Party. And a lot of the entities that they have around the world is this. So because we have a free enterprise system and they have a sort of an authoritarian uh, state subsidized system, they're financially more vulnerable than we are. Is that your point? Well, not just financially, if I'm sorry to interrupt. My point, again, is legally, you can only go after the assets of commercial enterprises owned by the defendant. Yeah. The defendant would be the state. So even if they have a Mickey Mouse legal proceeding that does say the U.S. military created this virus, they cannot seize assets of private U.S. companies in China. 
But David, that presumes that they're going to do exactly what we do. They can pass whatever law they want to pass. And I, I gather it's pretty easy for the Communist Party to pass the laws they want to pass. Oh. They could seize. And they don't have they, a Nancy Pelosi to deal with. The, right. They don't they don't have a Congress. I, I, I understand. But right, may so, I respectfully ask us briefly to ponder the consequences of this kind of confrontation? We basically have two choices. We can either suck it up and let the Chinese get away with it. I think it's unthinkable. Leaving matter of justice and, and compensating the victims, this behavior is just too dangerous in the 21st century. Then we have the Alvarez to try to hold the Chinese accountable. Now, there are you know, basically two paths in implementing the second alternative. One is to have government investigations, either driven by Congress or a 9-11-style commission, backed up by government-imposed punishments like tariffs and whatnot. The second is litigation. Of the two, which one do you think would be more palatable? Because the U.S. government can say with a straight face, hey, look, we didn't hold you liable. We just withdrew the immunity. We don't tell the courts in this country what to do. My point is, unless you're prepared to let the Chinese get away with it and run the risk of another even more horrible pandemic, well, this one is pretty horrible. Litigation is the best of all the imperfect options. And that's the kind of option where we have all the strengths and they have all the vulnerabilities because our actions would be covered, cloaked, infused with all the majesty of the law and all of the majesty of good public diplomacy. And their responses would be totally illegitimate and arbitrary. That is exactly the right place to end, uh, David. Tom Cotton has a bill to do exactly what you're proposing. So this is a live option. And it happened in the case of Saudi Arabia over Obama's veto. And so, you know, I think this is a really realistic possibility. And I hope you're uh, you're litigating on behalf of some of these people when it happens. Thank you for being so generous with your time and expertise. It was, this was great. Pleasure. So here's where we stand. I want to hold Sean accountable and Danny wants to let him go scot-free. That's Danny, right. why, why, are you for, why are you defending Beijing? <laughs> and you wonder why people hate Mark, me in particular. <laughs> Look, my, my problem with the argument that, that David makes is, A, the discovery argument I think is specious. And the, the second part of this that I think is really misleading, I don't want to say that it's, it's, it's wrong, but is misleading is that there aren't other options. Yes, it's true. There probably aren't other options for individuals to actually get restitution from the Chinese government. So there aren't other options. But let me promise you, there, the, no individual is going to get restitution from the Chinese government, not at least the Chinese government that I know. So what I think is wrong is this kind of straw man argument that you're either a defender of the Chinese Communist Party, Obama style, or that you're going to allow lawsuits to go forward. I think there are other ways of isolating the Chinese, of marginalizing them, of what I've said before in previous podcasts is building guardrails around them. I think the notion that trillions of dollars are going to be extracted somehow from the People's Republic of China, as nice as that might be, because I believe they are culpable in so many ways, I think that's just a fantasy. Let's, let's put the money aside for a second, okay, and just get the question of culpability on the record, right? So, you know, this is not the first exception to the Sovereign Immunities Act, right? The second. Oh, well, no, it's not, because we also accept terrorist states. If you're a designated state sponsor of terror, then you are accepted from it. So that means Iran has been sued for its culpability in acts of terror. Libya has been sued for its culpability in acts of terror. Lots of these countries. Do you and think and that, how many you think, of these countries have paid? Do you think that, they, that that's not necessarily the point? Do you think that those countries should, should be immune from lawsuits for acts of terrorism? 
I think that when a government directs an act of terrorism against the United States, that that government is a state sponsor and that they should be indeed held liable. First of all, while I agree with you that the Chinese government tried to cover this up, that they were culpable in misleading the World Health Organization in order to protect themselves, I don't think that the situation is exactly analogous. And I don't think any court of law would either. You know, it is one thing to... Oh, so you think they could prevail in a court of law? I'm not sure that they could prevail. It would depend on how it was structured. But, you know, misleading, while the U.S. Congress has certainly in the past tried to legislate that it is illegal to mislead uh, on a variety of issues, the Supreme Court actually threw that out. I think it's a very generous way of describing what they did. Again, they, don't put me in the position of having to defend... Don't the, put yourself the, in that position, Danny. What? <laughs> What I don't what I don't want to see is the notion that all of our international relations can somehow be addressed through courts of law. This is why we have a State Department. This is why we have a Defense Department. This is why we have AID. It is not why we have, you know, the appeals court for the District of Columbia. You know, so there was a lawsuit uh, against Iran before the culpability in the 1998 embassy bombings, uh, because it turns out that Iran, through Hezbollah, trained al-Qaeda and how to bring down buildings. And they were actually held liable for that. The benefit of that was not necessarily that money changed hands, though it probably should have, and we probably should have given some of that money to the victims of the 1998 bombings instead of uh, sending it on pallets of cash from the Obama administration as part of the nuclear deal. I would rather see that in the hands of American victims of those bombings and, the, and Kenyan victims of sure. those bombings. But it put, for the first time on record, the fact that the Iranians were involved in that bombing and were responsible for it. And it becomes a data point in the world's case against them for their sponsorship of terror and for their nefarious activities. In the same way, a lawsuit, even if we don't get to the point where there's Chinese assets being seized and there's some there's so you some would argue you would that. argue that I, in fact the expectation that people have of restitution I in think, this regard there, is absolutely peripheral no, to the No, I don't question. say it's peripheral. I say that there are benefits even if we don't get to that point. Look, how much money are we spending? We've just passed 2.3 trillion dollars and we're going and we're spending another half a trillion dollars soon to replenish the program for the small businesses. We're spending billions of dollars to support hospitals. This is the, we're borrowing this money from our grandchildren and it's because of China. Why should we not recoup some of that money? Why should those businesses not recoup some of that All money? All I'm, I'm trying to say, Mark, is that but when you open up a Pandora's box like that, you know, okay. I'll give you a perfect the, I'll give you a perfect analysis. Open. Okay, I'm sorry. The end of World War 1. The Versailles Treaty sought to punish the Germans for starting World War I. Were the people at Versailles right? You bet they were. Okay? Did they think they were doing the right thing and disarming the Germans? You bet they were. What did Versailles result in? Oh, yes, World War II. All I'm trying to say You're is— You're saying this is going to start World War III? All I'm saying is that this is a Pandora's box. Yeah. And that China is not the same as Saudi Arabia when we talk about adversaries, and that the way that China responds to this could very well be quite dangerous. We are not dealing with the McDonald's Corporation in terms of lawsuits. We are dealing with the Communist Party of China. This is a dangerous road to go on, and I think that we need to understand that the consequences won't necessarily be that those trillions of dollars that we've lost are gotten back. But you know what some of the consequences could be? Number one, that China is held on the record by an objective forum as having been legally responsible for this. Another thing that might happen is that it might 
speed up something that we both agree should happen, which is divestment from China by a lot of comp- American companies who should be coming and, pr- and producing these goods that are strategically important to us somewhere else to in order to protect their assets from the threat that you raised. We might have American companies coming home who might not otherwise come home because uh, we're holding China accountable for its actions. And they might. that's another reason for American business to divest. And China doesn't want that. So I think we have in this process, China in a more of a vice than you think we do. They, they. That's right. Yeah. I do. I, I don't think that we have them in a vice, and I think that this may well redound to our discredit. As much as I would love the idea of getting that money back from somewhere, and on that note, like our late boss used to say, we are going to have to agree to disagree agreeably. I like finally having one of these podcasts where we disagree agreeably because it's always nice to be right. <laughs> Not that agreeably. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> Hope everybody is safe and sound. Thank you for joining us and let us know of any big ideas you have or how you think that Mark is wrong. Let me count the ways. See you soon. <laughs> Bye. And our team here at AEI is Alexa Santry, Matt Winesett, Jen Moretta, and Macy Heath. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 